0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Andy Murphy. An exhibition on New York's Long Island is a celebration of contemporary indigenous artists. It is also a forum for artists from the Shinnecock Nation who have always lived on that land, but are living with the legacy of colonial land grabs and whose burial grounds are now a golf course for wealthy city dwellers. We'll learn about what inspires the artwork at the Southampton Arts Center and how it ties in with Shinnecock history. We are back right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Advocates are cheering the introduction of a Colorado bill that would create an office for missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. The Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports it would put the state in the company of several others in the region. A look at the numbers explains the urgency. Federal data show more than four in five American Indian and Alaska Native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. More than half have endured sexual violence. Meanwhile, indigenous women and girls face murder rates 10 times the national average. The office would work across jurisdictions and provide support to affected families. Democratic State Senator Jesse Danielson co-sponsored the bill. We looked at
0: states like Wyoming and others that had established offices or task forces because the states in the Mountain West region that have already tried to work on the issue, I figured we could learn from what they've done.
1: If the bill passes in the state legislature, Colorado would join Wyoming, Utah, New Mexico, Montana, along with multiple states nationwide. For National Native News, I'm Robin Vincent area of the Coeur d'Alene River Basin and Chain Lakes in North Idaho is contaminated with lead and heavy metals from a century of mining waste that has traveled downstream from the Silver Valley. A new study is looking at how the contamination impacts tundra swans. Steve Jackson reports.
2: Lead contamination poses a risk to migratory birds in the area, including tundra swans, which can suffer intestinal, kidney, and reproductive issues. Now a collaborative effort is underway to measure where the swans are exposed to contaminated sediment and if their overall exposure to lead is decreasing due to feeding in some wetlands that have been cleaned of the toxic metals. The Coeur tribe is involved in the study in part because of the importance of the swan to their culture. The birds actually help proliferate an important tribal food, the water potato. Restoration coordinator for the tribe, Rebecca Stevens, says the Swans perform what is called scarification to the potato seeds, which breaks through the seed shell to allow water in.
1: And so as they feed on water potatoes, they're actually helping to disperse those water potatoes, which are very culturally significant to the Coraline people.
2: Results of the sampling are expected to be released in a few months. For National Native News, I'm Steve Jackson reporting from Spokane.
1: Haskell Indian Nation's University women's basketball team secured a spot in the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics Tournament. The team will travel to Kentucky to face their first opponent. Rhonda Lovaldo has more.
3: With March Madness underway, there is one indigenous team set to make their appearance in postseason play. Haskell women's basketball team watched a live bracket reveal to see what team they would face.
4: Seated Indians of Haskell
3: number one seed Thomas Moore University. Senior Tiana Gullery spoke on how the season has been. It's really exciting and I think a lot of us are really grateful. Um, We have a tremendous coaching staff that's believed in us since day one. Um,
5: They do a lot for us and as a group um, we really worked hard for this.
3: First year head coach Adam Strong talked about how his team not only plays for their school but they play for all tribal nations.
5: Here at Haskell
3: Indian Nations University, uh, our women's basketball team plays for Indian country. They play for Indian Nation. They play for something, you know, bigger than themselves. So
6: it's something that we ver- take very, you know, seriously that we are representing.
3: The team will play their first game on Friday. This is Ronda Lovaldo for National
1: Native News. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
7: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Child Welfare Association, dedicated to the well-being of Native children and families. News and information on NICWA, as well as how you can show your support at nicwa.org.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Resiliency, history, culture, and indigenous futures are just a few of the themes that can be seen at the outcropping art exhibit. It's at the Southampton Arts Center in New York, which is the homeland of the Shinnecock Nation. The exhibit is a rare sight in this part of New York and the native artists, especially the ones from the Shinnecock Nation, are not afraid to expose colonial history of land theft and discrimination. Coming up, we'll talk about... Coming up, we'll talk with the curator of the Outcropping Art Exhibit and some of the artists to get at the indigenous stories on canvas, in photography, through sculpture, and in video. You can join our conversation too. If you're an artist, how do you convey native history and important issues through your art? What are some of your favorite indigenous art pieces and what do they say to you? We're at 1-800-996-2848, that's also one 800 996 Nine Native. And joining us from Southampton, New York is Jeremy Dennis. He's an artist and photographer and a curator of outcropping. He's Shinnecock. Welcome to Native America Calling, Jeremy.
4: Uh, hi, Andy. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining. So first off, I want to ask you about the significance of uh, the title outcropping. Uh, what does this mean?
4: Oh, uh, sure. Um, outcropping is actually a reference to uh, Shinnecock, the Algonquin word, um, translating to people of the Stony Shore. And so, as you said in the introduction, um, Shinnecock is part of the um, greater kind of uh, conflict of erasure of indigenous people throughout the country. And so I wanted the show title to immediately acknowledge the fact that um, despite Shinnecock and the people being here for thousands of years, um, this showing is sort of a, a first of its kind in Southampton town. Um, it's sort of um, a once-in-a-lifetime exhibit, and so it's almost, in a way, just kind of catching up to the fact that um, we, we are such a resilient people. We do need to be acknowledged, and so it's almost as if we're kind of like, <laughs> we as Shinnecock people are outcropping in Southampton town. We're kind of foundational to this place. And um, we hope to um, maintain that for another uh, ten thousand years.
0: Got it. Um, so, what was the inspiration behind the the show? Behind putting this together?
4: Um, before installation, I think we had about two or three months worth of um, conceptualizing, inviting artists, doing an open call, and just trying to get a sense of like what what can be uh, possible in this three month show. And so for me, it was um, an opportunity to celebrate Shinnecock Art, one of the rooms in the Southampton Art Center just dedicated to local uh, Shinnecock artists who are still living. And so just being able to debut that um, all in a single space to celebrate um, contemporary artists is just an amazing opportunity. And so the uh, show itself actually features over 45 uh, individual Native artists from Canada, to the Americas, um, Central America and South. And so um, it really is an ambitious show of just celebrating Indigenous art now. What are people thinking about? What do people want to kind of debut to a wider non-Native audience? And so it is really just an accomplishment of doing something groundbreaking in an area that um, claims to have a really vibrant art community, but um, historically has omitted or left Indigenous voices out. Hmm.
0: And, um, you know, c- can you name some of these artists? I mean, they're from all over the place. There's a, a good handful of Shinnecock artists. Can you just kind of um, give us a sampling of uh, who's all there?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, hopefully my mom will join us, Denise Silva-Dennis. Yeah. Um, she's a really well-known name, name out of Shinnecock, uh, David bun as well. We also have some really celebrated names from Chinook luger um, um Caro Romero. Um, we have Herbert Randall, who um, has photos in many different collections, also from Shinnecock. And so um, there's just so many artists to name all throughout the country that we hope people will see the show before the um, April 9th the installation. But I think having the opportunity to show emerging artists these really famous um, Native artists at the same time is just really um, embracing just the opportunity to support um, everyone at all these different levels. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, What are some of the, um, you know, what are some of the bigger themes or what are some of the themes that can be uh, seen at uh, this gallery?
4: Oh, some of the themes. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
4: Some of the themes range from um, representing the community, um, from photos and portraits and sculpture and other means. Um, my mom's work, uh, Denise's work, includes issues of land-back initiatives, um, same with Chinooka's um, photographs for freedom, and um, just different themes of community overall. Um, one of the sections are also based on indigenous futurisms. Um, one artist's name is um and they use a program called Second Life to stage one of their earliest um, creation stories. And so I think it's really wonderful that um, a lot of the artists in the show um, look at the past and um, sort of bring that to contemporary or even future times to um, maintain the memories and stories of their ancestors and just show the relevancy even in the 21st century. And so um, we do have all kinds of different themes Each of the artworks have um, wall text so that you walk away with a new understanding or an education. And there is really an art piece for everyone. I think everyone's compelled by the show.
0: Got it. Um, And uh, tell me about some of your art that um, is at the Outcropping Art Exhibit. It's uh, photography, right?
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, In addition to curating the show, I Mm -hmm. included uh, three of my photos. Uh, One is from my own version of um, using digital photography and post-production to um, try to envision or bring to life some of our earliest creation stories from the um, northeastern woodland region. There's also a photo um, from a project of mine called Shinnecock Portrait Project, which is very similar to um, Matika Wilbur's nationwide photo archive, along with um, kind of humans of New York type of. Um, a photo series. And then I have a um, project called Rise, which I have a, a individual um, self-portrait from that body of work. But I wanted to um, make the show as wide and representing as possible from each artist. And so we really wanted to choose works that might have conversation w- with one another, um, artworks that are from their distant past and um, recent um, body of work as well. And so a lot of the uh, works and the way that they're um, hung together is really um, interesting in that comparison as well.
0: Yeah, and you sent over a couple of photos uh, of your work, um, and one of them is Man of Flint. Uh, Can you describe that one? That one, I thought, really caught my eye. It's really interesting.
4: Oh, sure. Um, There's a lot of people who have seen it for the first time when they (laughs) come to the show and I get a lot of compliments, but um, that's actually from a story, uh, Choknanipak, Man of Flint. And it's a um, sort of like David and Goliath, good versus evil type of story of um, two brothers, um, two kind of creation story brothers. And there's this uh, battle that happens over thousands of years. Um, This larger brother made of Flint, um, he has Flint covering his entire body. Um, He fights with his more human-like brother. And over time, his body is chipped away by different arrow wounds. And it's one of those creation stories that explains, like, why when we go into the forest or into the um, hills, anywhere in nature, you just find these different stones, boulders, uh, tools. And so it's sort of an explanation that this uh, bad brother was chipped away. Um, His body is dispersed throughout uh, Turtle Island. And I think it's awesome, too, because it sort of explains the sacredness of our environment, and it also shows that these stories from um, pre-written times are still relevant and observable today, which is awesome.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, If you are interested in seeing some of these pieces, we have uh, them up on Instagram. You can see them. uh, We are at... Native America calling on Instagram. Um, if you want to join our conversation, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I don't if you've seen this gallery. Call in and tell us what you think about it, or um, you know, tell us about some of your favorite Native uh, artists, and maybe you have a favorite um, art piece that uh, um, you know really, you know, maybe changed your mind about you know. Certain part of native culture or change your mind about uh you know somebody personally um the number is 5, uh, 1-800-996-2848 uh that's also 1-800-998 you can also respond on our instagram at nativeamericacalling.com um jeremy really quick before we head into the break here how can uh we learn more about this art exhibit
4: oh sure um I actually um, am very grateful to have had a recent hyperallergic uh, fellowship for their um, journalism. Mm. And so I actually um, wrote a article It came out February uh, 23rd. But if you go to their website or if you check out Google, it's titled Inge- indigenous resilience and futurism in the Hamptons. And so it goes a little bit about the background of the work, some of the pieces how it um, is relevant to kind of art history and the wider art world. You can also just go to SouthamptonArtCenter.org and check out the um, exhibit section, and it has a full list of Indigenous artists who are featured in the show, um, different events. Um, One of the uh, our tribal members, Shane Weeks, is curating a lot of our weekend events, so he's taking a large role in building that community as well. And so we do have so many different ways that you can engage with Shinnycock, support the artists in the show, and just learn more.
0: All right. All right. That was uh, Jeremy Dennis, the uh, curator of Outcropping uh, Art Show in uh, Southampton. So we'll be back after this break.
4: Preparing your taxes is always a chore. But now backlogs at the IRS mean it's taking longer to process forms and distribute refunds. We'll explore some of the hangups at the federal level and offer tips as we head into the final weeks of tax season. That's coming up on the next
2: Native America Calling.
8: Mr. Healthcare work with our issues and not on healthcare coverage and to. Ask that i you can to until you Agua Mos I she will up to this with our one and that is 1 800 318 2596. i can to. Look at the Medicare and Medicare Services don't need to look in our
0: Listening to Native America Calling, I'm Andy Murphy, and we're talking about a new indigenous multimedia art show called Outcropping in Southampton, New York. This is the home of the Shinnecock Nation, and we're getting their perspective on issues that bleed through the pieces in this gallery. You can join our conversation too. Are there any indigenous art shows you're excited about in your area? We're at 1 800 996 2848. That's also 1 800 99Native. And uh, let's Let's take a caller. We've got Melvin in Santee, Nebraska, listening on KZYK. Hey, Melvin.
9: Good morning. Morning. I've been to the Shinnecock Reservation many times. It's beautiful. It's right on the ocean. they got a lot of trees. I mean, a lot. And it's just a beautiful spot. And... uh When I visited with them, it was a history visit. And uh, they have a uh, a lot of dealings with the ocean, the Shinnecock people. I mean, uh, from whaling to fishing, uh, harvesting plants, or I forget what they call shells, but where they get... uh, Wampum Mm pump. So the Shinikop used a lot of their to make wampum. They used about everything around resources they had. And their history is on that ocean. And they have a beautiful place. I like to say that.
0: All right. Cool. Well, thank you for that, uh, Melvin. Um, well, you know, you mentioned history, and I'd like to uh, uh, bring in another guest here. Uh, also joining us from Southampton in New York is uh, Denise Silva Dennis. She's an artist, educator, and retired school teacher. She's from the Shinnecock and Hasa Namisco nations. Welcome to Native America Calling Denise.
6: Oh, hello, Andy, and thank you so much, Melvin, and listening to Jeremy. That was awesome. And I just want to say, akwe, which is, hello, dintampak, friends, Denise, kwa, Widamo notusawas, soba, denis, nityapayawank, shininkak, kwa, Hanasanamisko sanamisco, nipmunk, nityashayawank, shininkak, So I just introduced myself in our ancient language, and um, just to say, shininkak is where I live. and. Thank you for that beautiful, uh, it's like a, a painting that you painted there, Melvin, of Shinnecock, so thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Well, um I wanted to uh highlight one of the pieces you have in the Outcropping Art Show. Um it's it's not the last of the tenacious Shinnecock Indians and that brings up so much history. Can can you tell us about uh that piece and some of the little intricacies um in, in that piece?
6: Uh yes, for uh, so many um years, you know, since 1640 and then afterwards, a different media, newspaper accounts um, forward have always said when everyone, whenever anyone passed away on Shinneconk, it was the last. Or um, a tragic history happened um, with a ship called the Shikashin, and then those men, those ten men, they were said to be the last. So that painting is based on another photograph from 1884, and it's called The last of the Shinnecock Indians, Long Island, New York, uh, that you can also see on Wikipedia. So, what I did in my painting is I said, Not the last of the tenacious Shinnecock uh, Indians. And um, behind them, you know, when I repainted the black and white photograph, um, I put a very old 1700 map that actually showed where our ancestral lands uh were all the way from Shunnecock Bay um to the uh, north um it's a Peconic Bay and then in the painting i added what's based on this uh, department of transportation DOT from back in the even the 1700s they have indian lines so it and then it goes west over to canoe uh place also where we have all, always had our land but our land was even further you know West and east of that, but that was just that of the 1700s. So I combined the two um, photographs and made them into paintings. And the people who were sitting, most of the people who were sitting for that um, photograph, would have remembered what it was like to um, freely go into the Shinnecock, um Hills and do our burials and have our, you know, our prayers done. And also, like Melman was saying you know, go up to the Peconic or go to the bays and get our shellfish and get our uh, wampum because we're the, you know, the, we're the seat actually of the wampum here on Long Island amongst other Long Island tribes and East Coast people.
0: All right. And um, in, in this... Um black-and-white depiction of these people, there's a child in that uh, crowd. Uh, Tell us about uh, the child.
6: Right, and that that child, the little girl, and actually the whole irony of them saying and and marking down the last of the Shinnecock Indians, well, there is a child who goes on from there, and everyone else I painted in black-and-white, but the little girl, I added orange to her, and she rep- represents the children who were taken away from all over the nation, including the Shinnecock people, and put into various boarding schools or uh, various institutions to separate them from their families. It, another way to lose our language, to lose our culture, you know, to lose the um, important connections to the land and the water surrounding us. So we are resilient, though, and um, we just it's amazing that we are still here i often think about that you know we've been written out of history so many times so many people haven't heard about us and this is just a great opportunity to let people know that we're here but some people do know because we have had one of the biggest um, powwows uh west of i mean east of the mississippi for you know over 70 years and we are going to be able to have it again this year so i hope that many many people come
0: all right <laughs> Um, So what does it mean to you? Uh, You know, you're talking about erasure, but today what does it mean to you to have all of this art from Shinnecock artists here in uh, Southampton, or there in Southampton?
6: Well, I was a a teacher in the Southampton School District, and I was also a student in the Southampton School District starting back in the uh, 60s. I think 1965 is when I started and graduated in 78. So, through all those years, there was really no, you know, no teaching about our history. You know, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, Most of it was about upstate New York, uh, you know, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, but not so much here in Shinnecock. So, it's just so important that um, we are exposing people to our history. Sometimes we have to go to um our elders and ask you know their about their stories that have passed down. Sometimes we go to you know different libraries or museums or I'm also involved with a um we founded a Neanmar clan trust um here, and that's all about getting our people's um skeletons back that are often museums they could be in new york city and and repatriating them back to shinnecock and then finding appropriate burial places for them as well
0: got it all right um you know shinnecock up there the the nation is very interesting i mean i think we have to revisit it sometime in the future but um if you want to see some of these art pieces they are on instagram at nativeamericacalling.com so Today, public radio stations across the country are participating in a show of unity for peace. They are playing the same song at the same time to send a simultaneous message of peace for radio listeners from coast to coast. So as part of that movement, here is John Lennon's song, Give Peace a Chance
5: want to see
0: That was "Give Peace a Chance" by John Lennon, and by playing that song, Native America Calling is participating in a nationwide effort among public radio stations across the country in a show of unity for peace. Now, let's get back to our conversation about the outcropping Indigenous art show in uh, um, Southampton, New York. So we have uh, uh, Denise Silva Dennis with us. She's an artist uh, who is uh, participating in this gallery here. Um, Denise, there was a very, very colorful, very bold Land Back Butter piece that you did. Can you explain that for us?
6: Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, with Land Back Butter, that was a piece that I had been wanting to do uh, for quite a long time, and Mm -hmm. the outcropping exhibit gave me the chance to, you know, actually get it together and and show it. So it's an uh, homage to the popular brand, uh, Land O'Lakes Butter, and that once featured an indigenous woman named Maya. It started in 1928, and she's sitting in front of a pristine lake, and then by April 28, 2020, right, at the really, you know, horrible part of the pandemic, um, all of a sudden she was gone, Um, and so it became just lettering that said farmer owned, and that's my favorite butter, and I'm like, where's the native woman at? And you know, I thought it would all go along with society's misappropriation and objectification, you know, marketing marketing of indigenous people. Um, but the, the new CEO there, I read up on it, um, said, oh, no, we just want to realign with, you know, it's farmers owned and how the farmers, you know, have made our products so wonderful. So my question was, before I even started painting it, well, whose land did that farmer, you know, use to make that delicious butter? And um, my daughter, um, Kelly, Jeremy's sister, actually, she had said while I was painting it, um, almost done with it, she said, yeah, whose sacred land, you know, was it built on? And also uh, keep the land and get rid of the Indian would be typical, you know, what happens all across America. So when I repainted um, my piece, I made the Native woman look more, you know, indigenous. She has on regalia. Actually, in my version, she has on a wampum necklace. In the um, Land O'Lakes butter, she had on, like, feathers that really weren't appropriate. So I put her uh, in an eagle, had an eagle feather in the back of her hair. And she's not smiling. She is very upset because, of course, the women were the ones who have always taken care of the land, and especially out here in Shinnecock the women would be in charge of the the planting the corn, beans, and squash and gathering the medicines from Shenangue Hills while our men were out hunting and fishing and and whaling. So, you know, all of us women are really not happy with how land was um, taken from us. So that is just, you know, as you get up in the morning and you're putting on, you know, getting your toast or your bagel, um, put on some land back butter and think about all the land back that needs to be going back to indigenous people across Turtle Island.
0: All right. I wonder if that, um, you know, you're putting this delicious butter on a piece of toast, but you're thinking about all of these indigenous issues and, um, you know, land theft that that often happens in our native communities. I wonder if it like takes on a sour taste after that. Um, uh, If you want to see this land back butter piece, uh, go to our Instagram. We are at Native America Calling. Uh, We're going to be back after this break, uh, but we are talking with the artists who are part of the Outcropping uh, Art Exhibit in Shinnecock Nation over in New York.
7: Support by Amerind. Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner, Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. And we are talking, uh, we are taking a look at the Native stories and issues that can be found in the Outcropping Art Exhibit at the Southampton Art Center in New York. And there's still time to join our conversation. Tell us about how Indigenous artwork inspires you. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. And if you want to see some of the art pieces that we have been talking about so far, you can go over to our Instagram. We are at Native America Calling. Uh, So joining us now from Riverhead, New York is Matt Ballard. He's an artist and an activist and he is Shinnecock and uh, Unkachog Montauket. Uh, Welcome to Native America Calling, Matt.
8: Hey, thank you. Glad to be here
0: all right so um tell us about uh, some of your art pieces in the outcropping art exhibit uh can you actually start with the glass prints because those sound really interesting
8: so you know you know as a as a photographer you now it's one of those things where you know in our community we we often have to document and see the things that other people who are maybe not from the indigenous community well will cover uh, especially if you're talking about journalists or folks from either the state or the federal level. Um, so oftentimes I will be one of the few people documenting you know, a protest or documenting some of the more uh, happier moments in our community. So uh, I like to take my camera and, and really shine a light on those moments uh, to showcase the things that are usually omitted uh, out of the official record.
0: Okay. All right. And um, why on glass? And what does that process look like?
8: Uh, So, you know, the the glass is interesting. Um, I am a big fan of the color blue. Uh, And one of the problems that you see when you're printing, um, you know, printing color can be kind of finicky, uh, especially since uh, considering... That the photography in general uh, it is one of those tools where it's assumed to be like an unbiased tool that just sees scientifically. Um, some of the, the human bias does work its way into these tools, and you know these algorithms used to, to kind of pick which color is represented and how. Uh, you see this with film, for example. Uh, film in the good old days of Kodak, uh, used to be color calibrated with a white face. So when you see brown faces, uh, they're usually you know washed out dark in the background. Um, even fast forward to today, when you're talking about digital prints, uh, certain colors are not accurately represented unless you do a lot of work in tweaking. Uh, this particular company that I'm printing with glass on does a much better job. I have to kind of seek out other like-minded people to do the work that I do that I don't have to do as much work getting these colors represented, getting these people represented as they are meant to be seen.
0: All right. And um, you have, um, you know, a couple of other, um, aside from the glass prints, there is a uh, Memories and Dreams video, right? Can you can you explain a little bit of that and, and what's in there?
8: Uh, so Memories and Dreams, like, you know, I capture a lot of footage so you know whether it be a protest or an installation of a piece of infrastructure for the, the nation you know there's a lot of footage that doesn't get to see the light of day even within you know the community so like oftentimes you know i find myself kind of dreaming about it almost at night and it will inspire me to do other works so i wanted to uh, show the viewer like you know kind of step into my dreams and see what i see so there's clips of you know um our month-long encampment on the side of the road on Sunrise Highway, when New York State and DOT were threatening to grind down a piece of economic development that was being used to feed our children and house our elders. Um, There are captures of the joy in the community when they went up, when when our seal finally went up on that piece of economic development on, on our territory that told the world that we are still here and that we are not going anywhere. There are shots of folks doing what we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. We've been doing aquaculture and and taking care and stewarding the land. So I have I have footage of of all of that kind of interspersed with um, beach scenes and you know kind of to kind of guide you through what I dream about every day.
0: All right, and you know, we've mentioned so far in this show that, um, you know, we're talking about resilience, we're exposing history, we are, um, you know, really saying we're still here and we still have, you know, all of this uh, within our culture. Um, what does it mean for you to, to um, or, or I guess, uh, this is how I can put it, what is the significance um, of, of this art show at that particular building?
8: So you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, I actually happened to work there, and one of the, one of the things I kind of found out through working there and working with my partner, who's a lawyer, is that uh, that building used to be the Parish Art Museum. Samuel Parish, back in the 1800s, was the primary architect of the land theft from the Shinnecock. Uh, so he used the the proceeds from that ill-gotten gains to build that building for his private collection of artwork. Um, and again we're talking about a man who didn't see the value or, or, or interest in indigenous artwork. So clearly there was no indigenous people hanging on those walls during his time period. So it's amazing that in a town so fundamentally shaped by this monoculture, this, this you know, uh, colonizer view of the land and its worth that indigenous people are still here, that we're still creating artwork, and now we're in the house of the man who stole all that land from indigenous people.
0: <laughs> um and uh, tell us tell us a little bit about maybe some of the other um art projects um, maybe um a- activism projects going on in that community there at uh, uh Southampton.
8: So, you know, again as I said, I ha- I have the privilege of of working uh side by side with my partner Tila Troge. Uh she's got so many projects on, uh, on the table uh, right now. And one of the things that are actually in that memories um, piece is that she's working on some sea kelp growing. So sea kelp is actually, or, or sugar kelp, I should say, is actually one of the foundations for a lot of the rights and in, in, in treaties for Shinnecock and for tribes on Long Island. Uh, so it's kind of a crucial step to really reclaim this now again nascent booming industry that is going to be happening in this area to steward the land and remove all of this nitrogen overload from these folks who have moved out here and you know again their only uh view of the land is to be extractive to be using it to put golf courses on and you know and and to drive on so this particular kelp farm is a group of indigenous women who are reclaiming our our stewardship of the waterways of the land through sugar kelp.
0: Nice. All right. Maybe we have to do a whole show on kelp sometime in the future at Native America Calling. Um, because there there are so many projects I've heard of that are uh, focused on kelp that are, you know, um, tribally run. Um But that's another time. (laughs) I'd like to, um, at this time, uh, bring in one more artist. Uh, Joining us is uh, Suzanne Kite. Um, She is an Oglala Lakota artist. Welcome to Native America Calling, Suzanne. Hi, I'm Petri Waste. Thanks for having me thank you for joining and um uh you are part of this outcrop uh, outcropping art exhibit over in new york um tell tell us about your piece i, I see that it's a uh heavy white frosting uh cake with um a picture of a of a pipeline on top of it tell us a, a more about that
3: yeah so this piece is called arub's fueler um, excuse my Lakota pronunciation, working on it, um, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the subtitle is Outlet Pipe from the Beaver Lodge Uranium Mill. And I uh, was invited to make a new piece for uh, the Ramey Modern in Saskatchewan, and I wanted to uh, address uh, extraction, kind of like all the art- some other artists in, in this show. Um, and so this piece is specifically about uh, uranium extraction, uh, and uranium extraction is, you know, well-known in Indian country for um, really harming our people, and it happens all over the world, um, and this line of thinking is comes out of a Diné writer Lou Cornum's essay called Irradiated International, and really how in, indigenous relationships to state power internationally um, have to do with extraction, and uh, so... This, it's a cake. It's a fake cake with a disgusting amount of fake frosting on it. And it shows this Beaver Lodge uranium mill. And um, so in in my family, we always have cakes at funerals with a, an image of the person who's passed to honor them. And uh, I've always been curious if other communities do this. But um, so this is mourning the, the water and the watershed that was affected in the uranium system. Ranium City in northern Saskatchewan, and uh, you know, as using a, a Lakota and, and at least in my family way of mourning to to mourn non-human beings.
0: Interesting. Um, why did you choose this piece for outcropping? Um,
3: I I think I I think when we're talking about extraction all over the country I think that um, this was a, a, a good way for me to enter a conversation with other people uh, who aren't from Saskatchewan and aren't from South Dakota uh, but I thought it was a good good addition and, and kind of represents a lot of my thinking as a I'm a composer and an AI ethicist um, as well and um, really if I want to spread a message, it's about listening to non-humans. And considering how extraction is a colonial tactic, whether it's data extraction, mining for computation materials, mining for uranium. And, um, and I think that even especially now uh, that uh, nuclear um, materials are uh, all the more relevant to consider where they come from and how they affect um, humans and non-humans.
0: Okay, and you say you're a composer. So, uh, what what? Tell me about um your your art style. What what kind of um art could we find if you had just like a whole a whole gallery to yourself?
3: Um yeah. So most of my work is about using uh using kind of body interfaces. So so building instruments that I wear on my body while I dance or move um, in order to uh, connect with artificial intelligences, machine learning, and uh, kind of co-compose music and video on stage. Uh, so a lot of the times I've had like 200 feet of hair braids. Um, uh, recently at the PS122 gallery in New York, where audience could move the hair braids and interact with the artificial intelligence themselves. Um, and that's the kind of work I, I really like to do.
0: Okay. What what attracts you to artificial intelligence?
3: Um, I, I think it's just a good way uh, to access the Western uh, desire to have, I, I think everybody on, on this planet wants to have good relationships with non-humans. Some of us have just forgotten how to do that in a good way. And um, I really have been drawn to the kind of opening, like a, a window opening, where um, where people who aren't indigenous start to see something that seemingly, seemingly is an object as, maybe having interiority or personhood and you know in long long conversations with my late grandfather um bill stover we we talked about how stones are computers are just melted stones and and our and uh our people are really good at um having relationships with non-humans already
0: all right um suzanne where could we find more of your work
3: um, my website is my last name, uh, kite4times.com, so kite, 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 kite.com, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can read my, my work.
0: Okay. All right. And uh, Matt Ballard, where can we find more of your work?
3: Uh,
8: I'm a little reclusive in that fashion. Uh, okay. You can probably find me on Instagram, actually, uh, 450 nm MJB. Um Sometimes you can catch my work on that same domain name 450nm. Actually, if you want to see some of the video and some of the photos up close and personal and you're not in the South Hinton area, you can go to outcropping450 nmcom And I actually kind of go over a lot of the description about all of those works
9: as well there.
0: Yeah, and on our website NativeAmericaCalling.com, we have a link uh, to that um, to, to that uh, site where uh, your pieces are. Uh, let's go back to uh, Denise Silva Dennis. Uh, Denise, where can we find more of your art?
6: Oh well, actually, I have a website, and it's just Denise Silva Dennis. You just put that in, you'll find me. And I have an upcoming exhibit at um, just one piece, though at the Long Island Museum in Stony Brook. It's Two Centuries of Art, Long Island Women Artists from the 1800s to 2000. And you can hear me talking on the audio tour with Long Island Traditions. Um, It's about diverse communities on Long Island. It's a self-guided audio tour. And you just go to um, Long Island Traditions to find that. It's a mobile platform, Travel Stories.
0: All right, thank you. Uh, and then Jeremy Dennis, uh, curator of Outcropping, where could we find uh, more of your artwork?
4: Oh, uh, sure. Um, my website is www.jeremynative.com. And um, my mom, Denise, is so busy, I think she forgot to mention, uh, if you're based in Long Island, New York, you can check out her uh, opening reception at your Yerba Bruja in uh, Bayshore. So she has a piece, and so does my uh, older sister, Kelly. So I just wanted to shout that out.
0: (laughs) All right. Everybody in the family, there is um, an artist. Um, Cool. Well, that was our discussion on uh, the outcropping art exhibit over at the Southampton Arts Center in New York. And... um, that is the end of the hour. I'd like to say thank you to all of our guests we had on today. Jeremy Dennis, Denise Silva-Dennis, Suzanne Kite, and Matt Ballard. Join us next week for more discussions about indigenous issues and topics. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Production help this week by Luella Brain, um, Bren. N- N- nola daves moses is the distribution director and bob peterson is the network manager for native voice one clifton chadwick is our national underwriting sales director Antonio gonzalez is the anchor of national native news charles Sather is our chief operations office- officer president and ceo of Quranic broadcast corporation is J- jacqueline Salee? i'm andy murphy Support by the Native American Disability Law Center. The Native American Disability Law Center advocates for the rights of Native Americans with disabilities. So those rights are enforced, strengthened, and brought into harmony with their communities. There is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show.
7: Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diplomas in person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu who support this show.